Hi, I'm Michael Miller, and this is Speaking of Meditation. Join me for interesting conversations with fascinating people who meditate, why they do it, and how it's changed their lives. By regular meditating, you could alter your gut microbes and have microbes that are less stressed and are producing neurochemicals to your brain, uh, like the serotonin family, etc., that have a neurochemical effect. Today I'm talking with Tim Spector, professor of genetic epidemiology at King's College London. Tim's an award-winning scientist and author with over 1,000 original articles published in some of the world's top scientific journals. This places him in the top 1% most cited scientists on the planet. Tim leads the world's largest identical twin study, Twins UK, and stemming from this, he wrote a best-selling book, Identically Different, which makes understanding genetic traits, how our environment impacts our genes, easy for everyone to understand. Then he wrote The Diet Myth and introduced the importance of the gut microbiome for human health. This expertise has now expanded into the Zoe app, a tool for testing your biome and blood sugar levels and then personalizing your dietary intake. During the pandemic, Tim pivoted the Zoe app to collect data on COVID-19. Tim and his data scientists mapped and analyzed symptoms and positive cases, leading to the largest study in the world with over 2 million active participants. His latest book, Food for Life, takes an in-depth look at all the latest scientific evidence on what we eat, how we eat, and why, and also how we can use this knowledge to improve our personal nutrition. Tim learned to meditate in 1976 and has continued as a regular meditator ever since. I met Tim and his wife, Veronique, in December of 2021. So speaking of meditation, here's Tim. Hi there. Hi, Tim. How are you? Great. And it's good to chat again. Uh, it is. It's really, really good to connect. And uh, but before before I press record, you were saying you had a good night's sleep last night. Tell me about the importance of that in your life. Um, I think it's pretty crucial. Uh, for not my myself, but probably most people. And increasingly, as you get older, you tend to value these things more, which you took for granted. You know, the ability to fall asleep quickly and then uh, lie in if you need it. And uh, the feeling you wake up with, a you know, a restful mind. And, and when I don't sleep well, you know, I'm, I'm really not very good for things the next day. And I really do struggle. I can get through the day, but I know I'm not at my best. I'm not very creative. Um, uh, and it's so, yeah, it causes me problems. So... Of all the things I'm sort of, you know, I'd like to solve for, I think getting that perfect sleep is is, is one, is, is the tough, elusive one I think many of us strive to get and, um, and understand as well because, you know, there are some times when obviously you're super stressed and your sleep uh, suffers. Other times there's no obvious reason. It's just uh, annoying <laughs> and it happens. And, you know, as... As you get older, um, you you know, inability to be flexible with your sleep or lie in or gain an extra hour or so um, is an extra factor. So, yeah, like like other things, um, these are one of these extra things in life where you didn't you didn't really think about that um, are much much more important as as you get older and you value your health 
and your your mental well-being. So, um, yeah, I don't have major problems with my sleep, uh, but every now and again, perhaps twice a month, you know, I get a bad night's sleep and it sort of um, sort of bugs me. I feel like, you know, I ought to be able to deal with this. There ought to be a scientific uh, way to overcome it. And uh, like, you know, my approach to diet and nutrition, I think, uh, I ought to combat that. And I say, well, I'm a meditator. This shouldn't happen to me. Um, you know. <laughs> well, you know, it's it's funny because I, sometimes people will say, oh, I slept really badly last night. And, and I, I would say, oh, you know, this happens sometimes. How were you after you meditated? And often they'll self-reflect and say, well, you know, I actually was able to function, kind of what you were saying just now, in a way that maybe if I weren't meditating – today would have been a write-off, but I meditated and I managed to get through, not at 100%, but maybe I managed 72%, whereas previously without meditation, I wouldn't have hit even that bar. I don't know. What do you well, think? I don't know because I haven't not meditated for so long that it's sort of become a bit part of my life. So yeah, I don't know what my 18-year-old uh, self would have done Um uh, then, uh, but certainly I, I feel, uh, yeah, it, it's important to try and meditate after a bad night's sleep and, um, you know, try and resurrect something for, the, for that day, if you like. Um, uh, but, um, you know, yeah, I think it's just part of life. You have to live with it. You, you know, life never runs smoothly. There are always, uh, ups and downs and you've got to, I think not get too upset about it and realize that your body does sort itself out. And just like, you know, if you go without food or whatever, you, you eat more the next day or vice versa, you know, your body will uh, usually give you a good night's sleep the next the next night. And uh, you mm -hmm. need to just uh, maximize it. Um, obviously, I think more about sleep and what I eat now than I used to. Uh, yeah, tell tell me about that because and then let me set back for just a moment. Will you frame a little bit where you are in your career right now? In the introduction, I I talked about your book and and the Zoe app, but where do you find your focus and your attention most when it comes to food? Well, I've had a varied career. I started as a rheumatologist, then an epidemiologist, then a geneticist, and I was you know, and it's only really the last. 10 years, I really focused on food and gut health and gut microbes. And um, I'm really sort of refining that journey as, as, as we're moving towards personalizing uh, the advice, changing the advice, trying to get my message out there to millions of people about you know, food quality, the importance of diversity in, in what we eat and, and our and how gut health is 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 crucial for our mental well-being as well as our physical well-being. So that's really the journey I'm on. It, it, it's actually quite broad, but it it covers lots of lots of facets from the cutting edge research, trying to get algorithms and collecting masses of data, and you know being part of this incredible Zoe program, which you know is already the biggest data set of microbiome data in the world. To you know creating more and more personalized advice that we can give that not only is going to, is linking uh, what to eat, but also how to eat and how that links in with your sleep and your rest periods and your, um, your mental state. So it's, 
it's really a, becoming a more a holistic journey, uh, which you know started very focused on gut microbes and is actually expanding out as as we collect more and more data, we realize how these that these things are all interlocked. And um, you know, we're talking about my bad sleep, but it, I think most people can relate to this. If they have a bad night's sleep, when they wake up, first thing they they want, you know, apart from a a tea or a coffee uh, is carbohydrates. They, you know, your body is craving sugar. And our studies have confirmed this. Uh, it's not, you know, that anecdote is real. And that we people logging, you know, we've got 50,000 people logging their foods uh, regularly and their sleep patterns. And we see this real correlation between that uh, poor sleep triggering big you know search for carbs rather than fats and uh, then getting a sugar spike and then eating more that day uh, to compensate perhaps their brain for thinking that they're lacking in 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 some of these um uh, you know it's lacking something that that sugar reward can fill and so it's that and if you go on that cycle that's pretty bad because uh, you know, your body is just craving more sugar, you get more sugar peaks, you're more hungry, you actually increase your tiredness that way. So, you know, we're looking in the Zoe uh, program in the future to start giving people alerts about their sleep and their rest periods and saying, your body's going to tell you this, but, uh, you know, we want you to do the opposite. We want you to have a, you know, a big fatty breakfast, um, of eggs or yogurt or uh, nuts and seeds to compensate this. And this will get you out of this rut of peaks and troughs that people often end up in a, in a bit of a vicious spiral. So I think it's it's a fascinating insight. And, and of course, not only sleep, but timing of your meals, uh, you know, this overnight fasting, uh, even when you, when you exercise uh, also comes into it. So I think it's more and more fitting into you know, a more holistic picture of looking at the whole 24 hours of your life and trying to work out how that best fits into people's lifestyles, their age, you know, things like hormonal factors, menopause, all these kind of fe- things that we've not thought were connected because we've had this rather limited vision of, of nutrition as just calories and fats and sugars and haven't seen how it's so integral to our our body and you know and in, in fact we're you know we're going back to Ayurvedic medicine really that the you know the the gut the intestine is the core of everything um which i used to think was complete rubbish uh just to, just so you know so i'm being very honest here it's not like i you know at the age, age of 18 saw the truth and um uh, and followed devoutly those um ancient asian principles i you know i i thought that was all nonsense but it's now as we know more about the science, actually, uh, which those guys didn't, you know, uh, they they just were observing um, and speculating. But now we know about gut microbes. We know how they are so interconnected to our brain, that gut-brain axis, um, that, you know, what you eat changes your gut microbes, which changes the chemicals that go to your brain. And you know, it, it seems obvious now, but it, it, uh, it totally wasn't before. We knew that, that this new organ in our bodies, the, the gut microbiome, exists. So uh, it's, it's a fascinating journey I'm on at the moment. And, and I still feel that, it's, you know, we're only scraping the surface. 
Yeah, I mean that's that's amazing. I kind of want to take advantage of of your scientific mindset to to kind of run past you some things that we hear from meditators around their food consumption and and around their hunger and around their digestion. And what you were just saying made me think of of one thing, which is people often report even in the first few days of meditation less snacking that they don't have a desire in the mid-afternoon to have a, a big muffin. What what would be your interpretation? If that were in fact, let's just say that were true as a trend, that people who wish they weren't snacking felt less of a desire for it. Could you postulate as to why that might be? Or postulate? What do I mean? <laughs> um, well, it could have a direct effect on the brain so that if you you know relax those uh, anxiety levels in the brain, you're taking the pressure off the reward system in the brain to compensate in the same way that you know like if lack of sleep leads to increased appetite, you are mm. in a way somehow interfering with that pathway, and so you're saying you've got you know you've had a calming, relaxing experience or so sort of sleep like. Um, experience which the brain recognizes and then we'll say okay let's just dial down that thermostat that says you know uh, Tim's had a dreadful night you know um, we need to rev rev him up a bit uh, with some extra rewards otherwise he's gonna you know just flop around like a jellyfish all day we've got to you know get him seeking things and so mm, that would be mm. one thing it's 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 a direct effect well, this was some of my speculation that if, as a child, I cried and mum popped a biscuit in my mouth and I stopped crying, that then when I'm 30 and somebody says something mean at the office, I pop a muffin in my mouth and I feel a little bit better, that I am emotionally regulating in that way, and that maybe meditation is smoothing that out, and therefore I don't need that exogenous regulation. I think this rest thing is interesting because meditation... You know, there have been studies shown that you rest during meditation more deeply than sleep at that physiological level. And if then you come out without that impulse for carbohydrates and sugar to spike your energy back up, then that makes sense that that would smooth out as well. Yeah. To what degree does that seem correct to you? Yeah, no, I think so. I think we've got to understand these very primitive reward mechanisms or coping mechanisms we've got. And and actually how meditation is interacting with that. Um, but let's not forget that, you know, the possibility there's a also the alternate way is that by regular meditating, you could alter your gut microbes and uh, have microbes that are less stressed and are producing neurochemicals to your brain, uh, like the serotonin family, et cetera, that have a neurochemical effect on your brain that might also be dampening down some of these um, uh, these effects. And so you're just, again, fine-tuning that thermostat. And, you know, there's lots of animal, rat, mouse data showing how you can transmit anxiety, et cetera, uh, from one mouse to another with fecal transplants from the, the chemicals the microbes produce. So that, you know, this stuff is, is well known and increasing data about treating anxiety and depression with either probiotics or with 
um, fermented uh, foods or with um, uh, Mediterranean style diets high in fiber. So, you know, we know that you can overcome some of these brain anxieties and depression with uh, food chemicals. And so it, it sort of makes sense. And that, there haven't been many studies on meditators. There was a recent one that hit the news about Tibetan uh, monks. I don't know if you saw that. I, I did. It was in general psychiatry. And I thought it was really interesting. In And I wasn't clear what it was saying, whether meditation was causation for this increase of the microbiome flora that was associated with feelings of generalized wellness or happiness, or whether they were just saying there was a correlation. Did I don't know how closely you you looked at it, but it certainly got my attention and it was, you know, in, in the papers. Well, it was designed to get media attention, I think, because it um, you know, who wouldn't publish something on, you know, the poo of Tibetan monks. I mean, it sounds great, doesn't it? You know, um, <laughs> and you know, who's going to repeat that study and say, I'm going to get 400, you know, meditating monks. I mean, obviously it was a one-off study. So they didn't, uh, what they should have done is, you know, before and after, or um, that's, that's really what you need to do because obviously these guys were, they were super meditators. I mean, you know, they were doing this for hours, right? Um, so, yeah, I think two hours a day for 30 years or something. <laughs> uh, <laughs> which means, you know, they can't eat during that time or exercise or do anything else. So they're always going to be very different to this other group. And there were some funny things about the study. It, it, it was a bit inconsistent in some of the results. Um, mm. So all it showed really is they have different profiles, less and perhaps more immune uh you know, the dampening down of the immune system was uh, what they showed. But it, it was a small, rather primitive study, and they compared it to other locals who weren't meditating but were, mm. but were probably, you know, working hard in the fields or doing other stuff while these guys are just, uh, you know. Uh, <laughs> Lounging about. <laughs> yeah, so which all, all have these other effects. So I think, you know, it was just good to get people talking about that subject and the fact that, uh, we know that stress and anxiety affect your gut microbes. There hasn't been any studies uh, longitudinally about, you know, the opposite about, you know, relaxation therapies or meditation actually improving gut microbes. So, um, but I think it's raised that possibility there, which is is good. But um, so I, I'm a believer that long term it probably has some effect. It's probably less than the effect of a good a good diet, definitely, you know, I think you can't, it's a bit like we see some effect in athletes, for example, having fitter athletes have better gut microbes, but that's again, very small compared to the, the diet component. And I think, right. and I think meditators will probably have slightly better gut microbes, but only, you know, uh, uh, only fractionally, only if they've got good diets, you know, it's, they can't, right. I don't think meditating can fight off a bad diet in the same way that runners can't outrun a bad diet. Yeah. Oh, I think that's really interesting. And I think one of the potentials with, with meditation, because one of the first things that people come back to us with having learned to meditate is what should I be eating? It's a really interesting direct connection that they seem to start to tune into 
how it is that they feel. And sometimes they start to make some spontaneous changes. I suspect that the people that do persist with meditation um, do have a, a connection with their body and they want to be healthier. And, you know, they will subconsciously be thinking more about the food they put in their bodies and, and how it might affect their brain and their, their general health. So, you know, I think it's it's probably more more a general feeling than than some you know exotic mechanism we haven't discovered yet um Mm. uh, but who knows you know we 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 still know very little so i'm open to all these um possibilities but we're all unique because of our unique gut microbes and i think that's that's the important lesson we need to work out what works for out for us what food combinations are best for us what time is best for us to eat, when is you know, best to rest, how much fasting periods we need, um, all these things. And I think meditators are the best people suited to really um, uh, you know, get to grips with that because they're highly motivated, I think, to work out how their body works best and optimizing their, their mental health, et cetera. Hmm. Let's, speaking of meditation, let's go back to when you learned at age 18. What, what was going on and how, how, did you, how did you come to that? How was it that you were even open to that possibility? So many people say, oh, if only I'd learned when I was 18. Well, I was probably 17, actually, now I think about it. Um, but, so I was doing my A-levels. I was really stressed out because... I'd, um, I was a very stroppy kid, um, as you could probably tell. Um, and because um, my dad wanted me to do medicine, I said, oh, I'm not going to do medicine. I'll do, I'll do different A-levels. And then I got after one year of A-levels and realized I was rubbish at the subjects I'd chosen and I was doing really badly. So I switched um, uh, my A-levels and included biology so I could, in theory, get into medical school. So I I had a, a year to do biology, you know, normally the two-year course. And um, and I was sort of finding I really wanted to do it, but I found my concentration really wasn't very good. I I was one of those kids who was always getting distracted. You know, my, I'd wander off. I found it really hard to rote learn. I found it incredibly boring. Um, it just wasn't me. So um, with this lack of concentration, I also wasn't sleeping particularly well. Um, and my my parents were going through a, a divorce at the time as well, which uh, probably, in retrospect, unsettled me. So, um, I yeah, it was a, it was a, a good time, and I was have I I come I had health problems, I had allergies, you know, it was like everything was sort of going wrong. I was always sick and and um, having problems. So it it came as a, my mum said, go to this place. It was you know. Um, in Hampstead and um, try it out. And um, strangely for me, I was quite receptive. I wasn't <laughs> rebellious about that. Mm. And um, just funny, it resonated with me. And of course, I, I was put off a bit by the rituals and I think, oh, you know, I'm, I originally thought they're going to turn me into a Harry Krishna and I'm going to be, you know, sort of uh, have to shave my head and stuff, which was, you got to remember this is the 70s, you know, it was a. a, a mm. um, but I stuck with it and found 
it incredibly useful for me for studying as the main thing. Uh, you know, when my natural, I was naturally lazy and naturally uh, looking elsewhere all the time for new opportunities. So it was about the hardest thing for me to do is rote learn not only A-levels and then get through uh, medical school, which it was all about rote learning incredibly boring things. And, mm. and have this this sort of discipline uh, to do this, and it, it really got me through medical school until that period when I actually realised there were some things I enjoyed doing, and then I I sort of you know I took off uh, because I was directing it and um, I, I I was in charge. I always hated someone else telling me what to learn, but if I I did it, and that's why I really got into research. Uh, and I found it, uh, you know, a really useful tool, um, uh, you know, in a, in a high stressful job being being a junior doctor. I mean, obviously, I, there were times when I couldn't do it. I was working mm. 72 hour shifts and things. There was no way I could really uh, meditate properly. But, you know, even I, 10 minutes every now and again, you know, half mm. sleeping, half meditating seemed to... Uh, uh, get me through it and and uh, amazingly I kept going um, uh, I don't think there was any period really I, I sort of dropped it for more than maybe a week when I you know on some you know trekking holiday or something where you know it was just impossible to sit anywhere or, or do anything mm. um, so yeah it's it's really served me well and, and I found as I'm now you know in my 60s it, it it's a take on a, a different form as well. And, um, uh, you know, I'm using it in different ways. I'm not using it to study. I'm, I'm using it, you know, uh, I'm finding it sort of evolved with me. Um, and whether I'm thinking about my sleep now or my intestines or, um, or trying to plan or incredibly, you know, trying to sort of make sense of my hectic schedule at the moment where I'm, being pulled in all directions. I've got three jobs and I'm trying to sort of um, focus on what's important. Um, yeah, I find it useful as well. But it's, it's, that's really, so it started as a, a, a sort of, uh, maybe because of a bit of family trauma and to help fix my attention and concentration. And mm. that was what I told myself it was for. Um, so it served that purpose, and then it's had other side effect benefits that's meant to be carried on even after I stopped having to study. Although, you know, as a doctor, you do carry on studying for a hell of a long time, but uh, mm. doing exams. But um, that's that's sort of sort of my story, and um, yeah, I, I'm sort of surprised myself really that I have carried on because I I thought I was a bit too much of a rebel uh, to do that kind of thing, but. Um, yeah, and now, and now it's coming from it. And I was whole periods of time when people had no clue what I was doing because it, you know, uh, medit tra transcendental meditation has gone through various highs and lows. And, you know, people didn't really, you know, didn't know what I was doing for, you know, a decade or so. I was, you know, it seemed to be the only one I ever heard, heard of who was doing it. Uh, now it's coming common again. Yeah, you were kind of a planet spinning out there by yourself for quite a while, which maybe plays to your personality. 
<laughs> Maybe exactly. Yes, I'm a bit weird. Uh, I'm unique. Yeah, I, I do this 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 shit that no one else does. Yeah, and everyone's into this other mindfulness to stuff and listening to you know calm apps and things like this or hypno hypnosis. But I'm still doing my old thing. Yeah. 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 Well, you know, I would. Um, yeah. There's there's something very impressive about your. I might call it positive contrarian nature, you know, that, that you don't just buy the line that you look and you're, you're willing to push back. And I, you know, I, I think that's something that maybe society could use more of, you know, that not, not negating others, but, but saying, well, I hear you. And yes, maybe not, (laughs) maybe this and let's actually let's actually explore it and let's actually study it and when when we teach i try to instill some of that scientific process because you know there are lots of studies on meditation and you know particularly over the last 10 years as you say it's become really popular and there are lots of very sloppy studies that have been been done and i always tell people you know, read that, be inspired by it to whatever degree that you are, but study yourself. And, and I tried to structure it in a pretty specific way. And, and I want your scientific view on, on this. I say, do an N of one study, do a study of yourself and have a hypothesis. I'm going to start meditating. What might happen? And these are the reasons that people meditate. You know, I want to be less stressed and I want my blood pressure to go down and I want to, my digestion to improve and I want to make better choices about what I'm consuming and I want to get on better with my partner or my boss or whatever it is. But then take all of that, those maybes, these, that hypothesis and set it aside and do the lab work. And that is meditate. You know, you, you have to meditate. And, and what you and I do is 20 minutes twice a day. Do that because you can't, you can't not do the lab work and say anything about whether the hypothesis holds. But then to collect data and pay attention. And, and where I encourage people to do that is in the world. What is happening? And, and to keep what I call a maybe it's meditation list. You know, even in the first days of learning, oh, I got cut off driving somewhere today and it was a little annoying, but I let go of it quickly. Huh. Maybe it's meditation. Maybe I was willing to let go of that annoyance faster. Oh, somebody, you know, I encountered someone on the street and usually I would sort of be in a rush, but I stopped and I really made a connection and talked to them for, for a few moments in a way that isn't my habit. Huh. Maybe, maybe it's meditation. Oh, this morning I woke up 10 minutes before my alarm and I was kind of happy to be lying there looking at the light on the wall and enjoying being horizontal and can't think when I was last awake at 10 to six, feeling happy about that. Maybe it's meditation and that you, although we can't know for sure, you're beginning to gather some evidence that perhaps meditation is doing something and creating for yourself a positive feedback loop and being intellectually rigorous. 
And I think this is the age of the sloppy intellect and people either pay no attention or they focus on the wrong things. With your positive contrarianism, uh, how do you view self-study when it comes to something that is as subjective as meditation? Well, I'm a, I'm a big fan of it, actually. Uh, but that's I'm coming from the nutrition space where I'm telling people, you know, to change their habits of a lifetime and see what effect, you know, like skipping breakfast has on you or, you know, leaving a, a bigger fasting interval overnight, you know, this time-restricted eating. And we've got, uh, we've managed on the Zoe Health Study app to get 120,000 people doing time-restricted eating and we give them an aid. So and this is something you might think about for meditators is actually getting them to log every day, say, well, you know, what's my mood like? Uh, what's my you know, bloating like? What's my, you know, uh, concentration like? What's my hunger like? And they just log every day. And uh, we're doing this for a whole range of food habits. And we, you know, and we see that actually most people, when they're given a few tools and they feel part of a community doing it, actually it really empowers them. So I think that's something that the meditation field should actually do. Um, you know, maybe you should start a, an app or something that everyone can do when they're starting so they make it easier for people. Because you, you, what you're saying is absolutely true, but it's really hard to get that into your, your daily life. Because um, mm. otherwise you just pick anecdotes um, and the brain generally is, you know, if you're in a good place, you're generally optimistic and you, you know, you forget when you, you know, you swore at someone, some old lady or something, you know, and you, and you think, oh, you know, I'm only remembering the good bits, you know. And right. um, whereas if, you, if you're if you logging in a, in a more systematic way, uh, over time, you, you see more likely to see real results. So, um, but I absolutely, I think we're, we're now in the age of personal experimentation where, we realize that you know these these rules, every, all these rules in life don't fit everybody, and we've got to work out when the best time to sleep is, what sort of exercise to do, when to do it, you know, what meals to have, um, even you know, even within meditation, you know, uh, do you need more meditation? You know, I don't see why some people can't do, you know, break the. The routine, you know, of, of saying twice a day, well, you know, and at what time do you do it? You know, that should fit into your mm. schedule. Maybe it's 15 minutes and maybe you do have a longer one. You know, um, I think we should be much more flexible in our in our views and, and treat it less, everything less as a religion and, and realize that we are all individuals. And, you know, we've got different genes, but particularly different microbes. We produce different brain chemicals to each other. We respond very differently to different scenarios, but absolutely, you know, change things around to work out what's optimum for you and also what fits in, what you enjoy doing. So there's no point doing stuff that you can't sustain. And the same is mm. true for meditation. There's no point saying I'm going to, you know, uh, you know, a New Year's resolution, I'm going to meditate and, and do in a yoga pose for three hours a day, right? It's is. Uh, I mean, you might do that, Michael. I don't know, but um, <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> you know, uh, in your cosmic awareness, you're you know you're up there bouncing off the ceiling. But 
you say what well, most people can't do that for uh, more than a couple of weeks on a, on a nice retreat. So it's yeah, absolutely experimentation. But I think let's use the modern technology. Let's get people rather than just thinking anecdotes, either write it in a notebook, um, uh, or better still, do it in an app, and then and and maybe get. You know, I, I found it rather strange meditating on my own all the time. Um, I felt if if there was a community that you could talk to, it, it would be more. Uh, it, w- it would be stickier for more people. Mm. Mm. Uh, I really do feel that that it's uh, uh, you know it's it's sometimes quite tough out there um, if you're on your own and you know you're in, going through a rough patch or a different. Uh, it's very easy to drop it. Whereas if you feel part of a community, reporting how you're feeling, doing research, and that's something we're we're learning with Zoe is building these communities seems to be really important. We saw it in COVID. Um, just the fact that people come up to me in the street and they say, Tim, you know, uh, you, you saved my life in COVID. I said, what? You know, I didn't do anything, you know. Uh, no, no, they said, you know, psychologically, knowing that you were there talking to us through our video every day, we could log, we could tell you how we were doing, they felt they had a personal connection. And I think we have to use this amazing new technology we've got properly. And I think that's something definitely meditation and other lifestyle um, uh, aids really, really can um, could use well. Well, I, th- I think that that your your book, which I have here, food food for life, has created a sense of community in that. So, I mean, it is a real hit, and and you have been so in in the public eye. You know, having having had that impact during COVID, and you know, I I thank you for for that work that was an amazing pivot that you made with adapting the app that you already had to serve a, a gap in the scientific community and in in government support and i think it did you know one couldn't deny that it did save lives very very literally and now that we're through that to the degree that we are, you know, people moving on and finding ways to increase their health and, and you being, you know, you become a bit of a focal point and, and an inspiration for, for people. And, you know, my eating has changed. I'm doing intermittent fasting based on doing the Zoe app and conversations that, that you and I had. And I was a, eat first thing in the morning guy, you know, I really felt like I was hungry and it was, you know, it was an experiment. It was, okay, what's this going to be? And now if I eat before 1030 in the morning, I feel like, oh my God, what is, oh, it feels heavy. And I don't experience the day with the same energy and, and lightness. I think you have created community with Zoe. You've created, created community throughout the the pandemic and and your book is uh is a remarkable resource for people to challenge and themselves and their thinking and the the information of big food could we call it and uh get get some more clarity about what's best for them yeah no thank you for that but i think it you know, we're in a new era and we've got to recognize we have these amazing technology tools now we didn't have five years ago. 
that uh, can can help all of us. And um, and I think we're, we're in this era of questioning. You know, sixty four percent of people recently said they don't believe any any nutrition advice that comes from the internet or or government bodies, and uh, that's a sort of frightening statistic. Really, it shows that most people are wandering around unsure of what to do or uh, in real need of guidance. And I think, you know, if we can set up this this idea that, yeah, just like you've done, you know, just because Kellogg's have told you to always eat breakfast um, and, you know, your mum told you, you know, you can't go to school without breakfast, doesn't mean uh, as an adult you can't experiment and see how you feel, you know. And, and uh, yeah, some people it works, others it doesn't. But I think that's a great lesson in life for all kinds of things. So, um, you know, and how you deal with different situations, you know, uh, don't always follow the same line just because you've always done it. You know, uh, mm. be open to change, be open to experimentation. And, you know, we're stuck in a culture where, you know, we eat meal times at certain fixed times. But, you know, it wasn't always like that. And, um you know, hunter-gatherers, you know, don't have a word for breakfast. And there's a reason for that, you know. Most humans, not all, most are not super hungry as soon as they wake up. Um, and I think, yeah, the reason you don't really, you know, you meditate before a meal rather than after a meal is, you know, your body's too busy, you know, doing other stuff, feeling full, trying to deal with, you know, all this, all this food and uh, your brain works better. Um, so, you know, but I'm sure some people have experimented meditating after meals and before meals and, um, seen the difference. And I think, uh, mm. yeah, really important. So, yeah, I think there, you know, all these, everything we're talking about is all fitting together, I think in the, in a, a new era of, um, questioning and, uh, community science, which is really exciting. Hmm. I love that community science, science, because community is what, you know, that is the stitching that creates a society is that tighter communities inter interwoven and, uh, and gosh, we need that now, don't we? Yeah, no, we certainly do. So, um, yeah, well in, in the, in the health app, we, you know, we've, we've started doing some pilot studies on, um, breathing exercises, for example, um, which are, very trendy at the moment, you know, uh, five minutes of um, deep breathing, um, which some people consider a form of meditation. I don't know whether you would agree or not on that. I, I would say it's an adjunct too that has some of the same effects for sure. Um, so you say it doesn't replace meditation, but it um, for some people who find meditation difficult, do you, would you advise it? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, and I think it would be interesting to experiment with forms of meditation that incorporate both into it. And I, I mean, I think I was asking you, I said, are you going to teach me some dual form of meditation that um, uh, involved improving my breathing at the same time? And, um, you know, I'm sure that if you had time to work on it, that's something, you know, you could do. But, you know, I've read a few of these articles and books on on breathing and, you know, how we breathe badly and, you um, the importance of nose breathing rather than mouth breathing when you're asleep and all these things. And they, they all have these iterative effects on, on, uh, on your, on your life. And, um, I, I would like to see some convergence. Maybe there's a new form of, you know, 
the TM combined breathing method that you could uh, champion, Michael, that um, would be good. I mean, I found it interesting at the end of my meditation. I, you know, when you have that period where you come out of your um, your general meditation, you stop using the mantra, and you're just supposed to relax. I, I use those few minutes now to to do deep breathing. Interestingly, yeah, that, that's a great that's a great practice. And there might be a way of coming into it by doing deep breathing that you sort of have it at both ends. Um, mm. And uh, that would be an interesting thing to to try. Um, yeah, your instinct is absolutely correct. We let's um let's get together, not on Zoom, but in person, and we're going to do that. Look forward to it. Yes, you can, you can cure me of everything, <laughs> and and you me, <laughs> Tim. It's really a pleasure speaking. Thank you, thank you so much, and uh, and I look forward to connecting again. Yeah, well, I hope we'll catch up soon. Okay, sounds great. All right, bye for now. Bye. Speaking of Meditation is written and produced by me, Michael Miller, with direction by Jillian Lavender and assistance from Emma Ray. Editing is by James Green at Green Podcast Productions. Original music written and performed by Rich Jacques. Graphics by L&L. Speaking of Meditation... What are you noticing? Who's benefiting? And how are you staying inspired?